Thank you, Mira. Uh, sorry about the, um, the beginning. Um, uh, so as Mira, I actually started my career in, in uh, radio, <clears throat> in audio. Um, and uh, for me personally, uh, audio and radio completely fired my, my imagination. It's kind of why I got into media in the first place. Uh, and I think in the last sort of 20 years, it's kind of well, longer. It's been kind of overshadowed in a way by television and more recently by, uh, by digital. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm actually thrilled as somebody who got into this and, and really loves audio that it feels like audio is back and it's back at the centre of things. And that's kind of what today's um, presentation is about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about audio. I'm going to talk a lot about voice, uh, voice activated speakers, because, uh, because I've just produced this report. So I'm busy promoting this report about voice and voice activated speakers. Um, but also I think because... Uh, voice is one of the things that is going to help to reimagine audio even further over the next uh, next five years or so. So I think the sort of technologies that I'm going to talk about are very relevant to what happens to audio. Um, uh, I should also just point out before we start that the report that we've just done on, on voice uh, was um, supported by Google, financially supported by Google. Um, but they had absolutely no role in uh, selecting the subject in the first place or in any of the editorial content at all. So it's completely independent uh, research. Um, and in indeed, we asked all of the major platforms, Amazon, Apple and Google, uh, equally to, uh, to answer our questions um, in, in terms of that. Uh, so just to start off, as I sort of roll into the uh, subject of voice-activated speakers, who has one of these... Um, Google Homes or Amazon Alexas. So yeah, just a few of you. It's useful to get sort of get the background to it. Um, so that's pretty representative actually of, uh, of, of, uh, of our representative sample. So whatever, 10%, something like that. And it's, it's pretty natural because actually for many, in many countries, they've literally only just arrived. So uh, in many countries, they still don't, um, they're not supported. Uh, but over this autumn, actually, a number of other countries have, have for the first time this month or last month, uh, got these devices. Whereas, actually, in the UK and the US, we've been familiar with them for maybe uh, two to three years already. Um, and just a little bit of the backstory then to uh, sort of voice technologies and these speakers in particular. So um, it kind of began with the Amazon Echo in 2014, November 2014, in the US. Um, the public launch was actually in 2015. That's now in 12 countries. So um, you have Google Home, uh, which came two years later. So 2016, November 2016, it launched. It's now in 19 countries. So Google are rolling out this uh, technology faster than Amazon now. And then you have uh, the Apple HomePod, uh, which is in eight countries and launched in 2018. So it was much delayed. And uh, inside each of these, you have a voice intelligent assistant, effectively, that you can ask questions to. So uh, Amazon's one called Alexa. And so I can say uh, something like, Alexa, play me. Um, just turn the volume up a bit for this one. Um, Alexa, play me BBC Radio 5 Live. You hear that? Sorry, it's a little bit quiet. <coughs> um, so uh, you can basically ask it to play the radio. You can ask it to play the news. Most of these devices do the same thing. Within the Google Home, you have uh, the Google Assistant. 
So that's the intelligent assistance that sits inside that. And you can say things like, um, uh, OK, Google, you have a wake-up word, so you have to get it to listen to you. You say, OK, Google, uh, how many people died in the Grenfell fire? So what it's doing there is a little bit like Google snippet search. It's basically looking through and finding the answer to your question and uh, as accurately as it can with some attribution in that case to, to Wikipedia telling us about it. So you can answer questions. It can play the, play the radio. Um, and then it can do things like um, the weather. So I'm going to ask Siri. So inside um, Apple, you have Siri. Uh, many of you will have Siri on your phones. And you say, uh, hey, Siri, what's the weather going to be in Oxford tonight? Uh, so it's kind of um, sort of command and control kind of stuff. So that, that's broad, broadly um, how this stuff works. Normally when I do that and I say, hey, Siri, everyone's phones wake up. Uh, because many people have the, their phones on, in fact, something like 500 million phones um, uh, have Siri enabled on it already. And many people are, are using that for those kind of question and answers. Uh, and that's really the point. This is not about smart speakers. Smart speakers is just one implementation of you know the voice revolution uh, so it's embedded in our phones 500 million on uh, in Siri Siri within Apple phones uh, within the Google infrastructure the Google assistant is uh, within around 400 million phones uh, and uh, loads of other devices so this autumn we have seen a whole load of new devices uh, launched on the market so you have the Google home hub which has a screen. It's essentially a smart speaker with a screen in it. You have uh, Facebook have just launched something called the Portal, which has Alexa intelligent agent inside it. So you can ask it questions. Uh, you can ask it to phone um, uh, people. Uh, and it also has its own voice technology, which it's launched as part of that as well. You have uh, Amazon Show. So some of these now have speakers. Uh, I just have these a um, couple of months ago. I bought the Bose, latest Bose headphones. Uh, which have both a Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa inside. So you literally just press a button and you say, play me five live, give me the news, play me a podcast, and it just goes straight into your ear. And that is really, I personally have found that transformational. It's really changed uh, my audio habits. Uh, in cars, so cars, new cars are now coming with um, Alexa or Google Assistant embedded in it, as well as their own voice technologies. So BMW announced one last month. So they've got their own voice assistant, which is deeply embedded into the car itself. And then you've got Alexa, which will do the, uh, the entertainment. And then uh, Amazon, because cars get sold quite slowly, they're doing sort of interim bridge technologies. So these little $50 add-ons, which you plug into your cigarette lighter, and it basically brings all that internet on-demand audio loveliness straight into your car. So the point is that... Um, Although we think about voice today as these sort of speakers in your home, that is going to go out beyond the home. It's going to be embedded in pretty much everything we do. And Google and others talk about this era of ambient computing where the, uh, the technology kind of gets out the way and it's just around you and you can summon it when you, when you need it. And that's kind of you know, a little bit of hyperbole, but it's also, I think, uh, to some extent where we're heading. So uh, what, what I wanted to do with this research was really try and understand... Um, is this a flash in the pan? How disruptive is it? 
so little is known about voice technology currently and how these devices are being used. So people are buying them. Are they enjoying them? Uh, are they going to you know, jettison them because they're not providing enough value? Uh, how, how is news working in these environments? So I should, should make clear that the, um, the, the platforms provide no information about this at all. I mean, they, apply, they supply a little bit of information to individual publishers who are using them, but virtually no uh, um, general information about what's going on, which I personally think is outrageous. And so part of what we were trying to do was to understand through a variety of techniques what is going on, how people are using these for news. And I think it's one of the first studies that's, that's really trying to do this. And then thirdly, um, you know, what, what are the barriers to this? So I went into this quite sceptically. You know, is this actually transformational or, or isn't it? Um, what, are the, what are the reasons why people are not going to get this technology, they're not going to use it, and why are they not going to use it for news? So I wanted to sort of really explore that. So that was basically what the, the sort of core research was, and uh, we did it through uh, going to talk to people in their homes about who have these devices already, so how are they using it, are they enjoying them, what do they like about them, what do they not like about them. Uh, and we did those sort of depth interviews in the US and the UK. We also ran focus groups with people who uh, had them, uh, and we ran focus groups with people who hadn't got them to understand what the barriers were. Uh, and we did those in Germany as well. And then we talked to publishers about how they viewed the opportunity. So we talked to the top publishers uh, in the US, Germany, and the UK. So New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal in the US, Guardian, BBC, uh, Telegraph in the UK, and Spiegel and ARD and people like that in, in Germany. So a lot of the top publishers. And then we did a survey of uh, people who are using these devices, um, nationally representative sample, and then people who are using them, 1,000 boost in the UK and 500 in the US to understand in more detail and granular detail how they were currently using them for news. So that was kind of the methodologies behind what we were trying to do. <clears throat> and um, we've also reused in this chart, which shows the growth of smart speakers. This is purely the smart speaker side. Uh, we've used the digital news report data. So we've been tracking this for the last few years. And then uh, the blue one is, a, is that separate survey that I just talked about. So this is essentially a survey we did in September this year where we asked people um, whether they were using smart speakers in the US and UK. And you can see how fast it's grown just between the pink and the blue It just in six months. It's essentially doubling um, year on year. This is growing, these, these devices are growing faster than the smartphone at the same pace, just to give you a sense of how fast the take up of these devices are. Uh, so there are some, um, so what does that mean? What's 14% mean in the US? Uh, it's about 30 million uh, people in the US who have these devices, about 17 million homes. And in the UK, 10% 10, 10, 10 is equivalent to around 5 million homes, uh, sorry, about 4 million homes, just to give you a, a, a sort of sense of, of size. But um, uh, the projections are for you know, 50, 60 million in the US within a couple of years. So that's how fast this stuff is growing. The other interesting thing is who is using these devices and why. And um, with a lot of devices, it quite often starts with younger people. So smartphones, for example, much more skewed to younger people. As you can see here, this isn't. It's very much about sort of the middle. Uh, and in the UK, you can see the sort of little bubble towards the older group, which is very interesting. So older people are finding this incredibly simple, easy technology to operate. And so I think it's going to get a lot of people onto the internet who previously 
have not been on the internet, the sort of simplicity of these devices. So when we looked at uh, what do people think about the smart speakers, so this is, this is obviously people who are using them already. Why are they using them? What do they like about it? And essentially this idea of speed, the fact that you can get more easily to the media you want, the podcast you want, the radio station you want. So it just makes things quicker. You, know, you want to get the weather, you don't have to take your smartphone out of the pocket, find the app, uh, you know, click a couple of buttons. You can just ask for it and you heard there how quick it is to get the answer that you're looking for. So the speed, the reducing friction with a whole load of things that you currently want to do. Um, this idea of thrill. So we, we spoke to um, uh, a taxi driver in his 70s in his home and he had never managed to, to master a, a tablet. He never had a smartphone. He tried and he couldn't quite get to grips with it. But he got to grips with this within about a week and was using it every day and felt for the first time he was part of the future, that he was able to interact with the internet in, in completely different ways. Useful, so lots of useful tasks every day <coughs> these devices enable. And then I think the, the, one of the most interesting ones which came up again and again was that people find it fun. So I think even the people who created these devices did not necessarily think this was going to be a, a you know, really fun thing. But um, w the, the way in which these um, uh, intelligent assistants are brought into conversations, for, brought into family conversations, you have games with them, uh, you know, maybe the kids, it's kind of a social experience in many cases. Uh, so some use cases where, where essentially it's uh, just use or tell me a joke. And that that is now part of everyone's life you know the Alexa or the Google Assistant are now part of people's life and it's part of how they uh, they have fun um, this I think was was really uh, interesting for me and possibly the most interesting insight for me of the whole thing going into people's homes reminded me how complicated technology has become for people so uh, I'm sure in your own homes you have multiple remote controls. We went into homes where literally they had 10 remote controls sitting there, doing, you know, trying to control different things, all sitting lined up on the, on the sideboard. And um, you know, essentially, I predict that most of those remote controls are going to disappear in the next five years. And voice will enable that to happen because um, if you just want the latest show on Netflix you will just ask your television for it. And Alexa or Google Assistant or whatever will be inbuilt into that television. And it will be a much quicker and more seamless way of getting to the information you want or to a, a show that you've recorded. Uh, and and so that's already happening, of course, with radio because these devices are replacing radios. But it will happen with television and it will happen with a whole load of other things that currently require remote controls. Uh, and then sort of linked to that, a slightly different point, is people just kept on saying... Uh, the reason I like it is because, uh, you know, there's no screen. The, the, the whole way through the day, I'm just looking at the screen and my eyes are tired and it's a release from all of that. And so it really sort of plays into that narrative at the moment about technology being bad for you. And even if you're consuming media, it's not, you know, another press, another time you have to get your smartphone out. And people really, really, uh, really like that. So here's just a, a couple of people talking about this sense that, Maybe finally they were in control of technology rather than the other way around. I like the uh, convenience of it. I don't like to type or read that much. And especially when I'm on the go and I'm out, it's much easier to just ask something. Here's the thing, right? We're on our phones so much that our heads are constantly down, our fingers are tired. 
there's something that bring up your phone and get distracted. With the voice, I like that I can, there's nothing that's going to distract me. I'm just saying what I'm saying and it gets done. Yeah, so that sort of sense of, um, of immediacy that, that people talked about not going down rabbit holes. So the internet is all about wasting their time. And some, somehow this gives that control. And it just, you know, just give me what I'm asking for. And that's it. Don't distract me with all these things that the internet distracts me with. Um, and I think that's a really interesting um, uh, new way of thinking about what people really want and what technology has done to them. Uh, so, but at the moment, people are using these devices in really, really very simple ways. You've heard some of them already. You know, what's the weather? What's the weather tomorrow? Um, you know, turn on the radio. Uh, set me a timer is, is another popular one. Um, and so in that sense, it is absolutely replacing radios in the home. Uh, it's putting radios into the home of young people who never had radios, who never had a radio in the home. So this is actually expanding the possibilities for what we used to think of as radio. Um, but you, you ask it to do anything more complex, and basically the technology is not good enough in a lot of cases. So sometimes you'll ask for a weather forecast and it just gets it wrong because the name is wrong. In other cases, you know, it's a complicated question. If it has multiple meanings, uh, it basically says, sorry, I don't understand that. Uh, ask, and it asks you another question. And by the time you get to the end of that whole process, you've forgotten what the original thing you wanted it was in the first place. So that's kind of the experience currently of doing anything complicated on these devices. Uh, so there are lots and lots of sort of immediate problems when you get beyond command and control. And the platforms kind of know this when you talk to them. They know the limitations. And it's why, despite the fast growth, that growth is going to stop if they can't get to the next stage. So that's really, you know, the, they're battling to improve the technology at the same time as keeping the hype up, which is probably why they're not giving us any data. Um, in terms of uh, other barriers, so obviously privacy came up in every focus group, in every conversation. You know, it's really spooky. Um, uh, this thing is listening to me the whole time. It has to listen. Otherwise, when you ask it for something, it, 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 it can't give you that instant response. So the whole point is it's listening, but it's not sending the data back to Amazon servers until you use that wake word. But people absolutely don't understand that difference. They think it's basically listening the whole time. And they're not sure it's okay, you know, listening to my every conversation. Uh, this, this is somebody who's, who's a potential user, and that's kind of one of the things that's stopping them by the devices. Uh, this is an existing user. So, so you also have people who bought them and aren't using them because they're worried about privacy, or they're not using them in a particular room because they're worried about the, the, the privacy. So these are very real concerns. A lot of other people, of course, have already given up on privacy. You know, essentially, they already sold, sold their soul to Facebook. Um, uh, it's the current model of the internet, right? Is we give away our data, and they know everything about us anyway. So what's the problem? It's not fundamentally different. Uh, and then there's a whole load of people who say, I've got nothing to hide anyway, so uh, I don't mind. You can listen to anything. Um, the, the other sort of big barrier which you came up against is, is people just feel a bit awkward talking to computers. So this is a picture of uh, the, the uh, Apple earbuds, AirPods, where you, uh, if you go to New York at the moment, you will just see people talking to themselves all the time uh, in these, uh, in, probably in other places as well. Not so much in London yet. It hasn't really taken off. Um, it's a bit weird. And, and people say it's a bit weird. Uh, so just talking to computers, seeing people talking to these things is a bit weird. 
and then actually getting answers back from computers is even more weird to people. You know, the, the, the really odd thing is, is, you know, it's just, it's just odd. <laughs> Uh, but then other people say, yeah, but you can get used to it pretty quickly. So, so my sense is that once you start using so this is a barrier to people using it, but once you start using it, uh, it's just kind of normal. So in five years' time, we'll all just be talking to ourselves the whole time or to computers, and it will just feel completely normal. So uh, where's the balance of all this ending up? So you've got, you've got all these benefits. Uh, so it's uh, making life easier. It's... You know, we feel futuristic. It's actually helping me feel in control of technology on the one hand, giving me stuff more quickly. On the other side, uh, you know, we're really concerned about the data. We're concerned about the privacy. And different people will have different answers to this question. I think there will definitely be people who will not get it for the privacy reasons. There's always going to be a sort of diehard 20, you know, 15, 20% like that. But in most cases, in my view, uh, the convenience is going to trump, is going to trump the, the, the concerns people have. And one of the things that will change that is when enough people recommend. So the number of people who are getting these devices because it's been recommended by a friend or a family member or a daughter or a son. I mean, this is how this stuff is working. It's useful. You'll love it. Uh, and don't worry about the privacy. <laughs> you know, these are the kind of conversations that I think will change it. So that's kind of voice in general. Um, and my... My sort of thesis is this is uh, transformational technology and it's going to have a huge impact uh, over the next five years uh, in terms of the underlying technology. But what about news? So how is this going to affect journalism? How are people using it for news currently? Um, and the sort of headline is, I kind of already alluded to this with command and control. I for forgot to mention music, of course, because that's the main use at the moment. So uh, in our survey, 61% said it was the most important function. That's the orange uh, was listening to music, and 84% are using uh, the music. So they're linking up to Spotify, Amazon Prime, and they're asking for the tracks or the playlists, and it's an amazing way of just getting the music you want on a speaker. Uh, but then you've got answering general questions, 6%. So this is, this is just for the, the most important feature. So in order, answering general questions, weather updates, setting alarms, and only then do you get news. So yes, 46% have used it at some stage, but only 1% say it's the most important feature. And when we talk to people in home, uh, they said, yeah, yeah, I use news all the time. But then the thing is you can look on their app to see when they actually accessed it. And you flip down it, and they might have used it last Wednesday or maybe a month ago. So there's a lot of overclaiming here about how much they're actually using the news, and what they're really doing is asking it for a joke or, um, or, or playing music. Um, so I think that's quite a sort of uh, a, a salutary number, the 1%. When you look at how people are using this for news currently, there are kind of three types of use. So firstly, um, uh, you know, in the commercials, it's all about interactive conversations. I've already explained the problems with a lot of those things. So very little usage at the top right now, but quite a lot of potential. Then there's the news update. So this is where you basically say, give me the news or give me the news from the BBC or, and it will come back with a branded uh, little summary. So this is, a, this is quite a popular way of getting the news and the publishers are producing a lot of this stuff now. Uh, and then there's the live radio. So you get news when you're, when you're listening to the live radio or uh, you've asked for a podcast. So this is essentially linear radio but um, accessed through one of these speakers. So those are the three kinds of things. If you take the, um, 
the headlines. So you can, you can ask for, you can say, give me the news, or you can say, give me the headlines, or any number of, of alternatives to that. And basically, it comes back with, Amazon call it a flash briefing, Google call it a narrative news. And it's essentially either one bulletin, or you can configure it to have more than one bulletin. And what we found when we drilled down in the survey is in the UK, um, only a fifth of people, so 21% of smart speaker owners, said that they used it every day. So essentially 80% of people are not using these devices for news regularly or very regularly. Okay, it's a bit more monthly, but probably a bit of overclaim going on there. And then in the US, uh, the numbers are even smaller. So again, around a fifth of people are using this stuff regularly for news. And this is, by the way, the most heavily promoted news feature. It's in every single ad. It's on every single weekly email uh, to try and persuade people to use it. And even then, the numbers are not very good. So why is that? So we asked people, why are you not using? So for the people who weren't using the news, why are you not using the news? And the main reason is um, the value isn't there for them. They can get news easily. It's coming out of our ears, right? It's being thrown down our throats from every single device. So it's got to be something better. It's got to be something that um, either gives it more quickly or in a better format that they're really going to want to use it. So 52% said, I'm not using it because I've got enough news, thank you. Other people talked about the content being wrong. So we're in sort of shovelware stage at the moment where media companies are basically taking existing content and putting it onto these devices. They are not tailoring it specifically for voice devices. And so a lot of people talk about it being too long. So here's one of the guys you talked about we heard from earlier called Adam in his New York apartment and he's saying don't give me an update that's longer than a minute. The news that I'll use Alexa for typically unless I'm asking for a sports score or something very specific is just all right what's going on in the news Alexa give me the update and when someone asks for an update on something you know they're asking for a summary and uh, I want something very I want something summarized like don't give me something that's longer than a minute. So he's actually a New York Times reader. So he's, he's somebody who's really interested in the New York Times, and he signed up to the New York Times. Uh, and then what he got was the Daily, which is a 25-minute um, 20 minute, um, current affairs program, basically. And he's saying, give me the news, and it gives him the Daily. So that's, that's kind of part of the problem uh, with what's going on right now. And you know the guy who runs um, Voice at the New York Times, who, by the way, have just invested a lot of money in, the, in Voice and they're going into it in a big way, um, they, they've done the same research as we did and come to the same conclusions. So essentially, they talked to a lot of people, said it's the wrong product. So they, they're replacing the daily with uh, a bespoke product that is right for that, that narrative news uh, flash briefing. They will obviously continue to use the daily in the podcast environment, but in that very specific give me the news, they're going to swap that out for something else. On the good news front, um, I, think, I think what we are seeing is, is sort of how these devices are going to be great for habit. So I think over time, uh, it's really about how do you get, how do you meet the need to be briefed in the morning? And, you know, radio has always been really good at that. You kind of listen to radio for a period of time as, you, as you're waking up. Uh, you're doing a whole load of other things. You're taking in information. And this is just another sort of concentrated audio way in which you can do it. So this is from T-Online, which is a German publisher. And it just shows you that basically the demand is all about morning briefing. So the time in the morning is six, between six and nine. That's when their peak is for their flash briefing. They do one of about a minute and a half. Um, 
And interestingly, when you talk to people who are using these, uh, 50, this I thought was a staggering statistic, 50, probably again overclaimed, but even so, 56% said they felt better informed because they were listening regularly to these, these flash briefings. So for the people who are listening to them, I think it's a kind of response to the way in which uh, technology has kind of fragmented everything and it's really hard to, you know, you're seeing a lot of things during the day, but, but do you really get that overall picture? So this is kind of, maybe it helps you keep you informed in that way. This is a guy called uh, Jeremy in London who has, uh, has three of these in his flat and um, it, he's, he thinks it's helped him be better informed. So he, asks, he has it at specific times, you know, in the morning and the evening, and he's also configured it so that he has uh, the BBC and then he has a current affairs broadcast that's sort of tacked onto that as well. Um, so what are people listening to? Which brands are people listening to? Uh, one of the um, questions we asked was which brand uh, is your flash briefing brand effectively? And in the, uh, in the UK, uh, pretty much everyone is using the BBC. So over two thirds of people are essentially sticking with the brand that is suggested when they buy the device. So when you buy it, it comes up with some suggestions. And in the UK, all three platforms have BBC at the top. So not surprisingly, that happens. So um, you know, there is a fear here that it's going to be a winner-takes-all environment. So one or two big brands and nobody else gets a look in. That's certainly what's happening at the moment. And a lot of the other publishers are very concerned about that. Uh, in general, broadcasters are dominating because when people go onto these devices, they expect audio broadcasters. You know, they have a trusted brand. They expect them to be there. And so for the most part, that's what they select. And they have high trust in that area. And virtually nobody is changing the default. So in the UK, 23% say that they have actually bothered to find the, the settings, which, by the way, are almost impossible to find. Uh, even I struggle to find where they are and change it. So uh, it's, uh, it's complicated. In the US, it's a different picture. Uh, but this is not because the default isn't popular. It's because the, the publishers change the defaults. So they all started out doing... NPR, so they were all recommending NPR, which is the National Public Radio in the US. And then these uh, video devices came along, and so they started recommending CNN and Reuters TV and other video brands because, because NPR didn't have a video product at that stage. So that's why you have a more um, differentiated approach there. But the same principles, the broadcast brands, again, essentially dominating there as well. Passive radio. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that people t you basically are using these like radios. Uh, so 60% in the of all smart speaker users are accessing live radio monthly. So it's just a, an easier way of getting to the radio. Um, this is a figure that National Public Radio told us. 19% of all of their online streaming now comes through smart speakers. Uh, so that was 4% about a year ago. And this is all additional. So the 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 amount of hours streamed via, um, via computers and via mobile phones has stayed the same, and the growth has all been in smart speakers. So this is, this is for, for existing radio broadcasters, this is already incredibly important, certainly in those countries where, where these devices have taken off. By contrast, podcasts are um, not doing so well. So 15% use podcasts of smart speaker users access podcasts monthly, so probably daily, you know, that's going to be really, really small. Um, so any ideas why people wouldn't be using podcasts in these smart speakers? 
to not maybe a bit very hard to find. So quite often you ask for a podcast and it just doesn't know because there's kind of aggregators and the aggregators haven't got the right ones or you have naming clashes with other, there's lots of discovery problems. Other thoughts? Portability. Yeah. Yeah, I think portability is the key one. So here, you know, this is somebody saying, um, basically these, these are not in the right room. Quite often the smart speakers in the bedroom and people want to listen to the podcast in the living room or vice versa. And... Um, and a lot of people, you know, they're very intimate things listening to podcasts in your ears. And so people don't necessarily want to share them. So actually, there's quite a lot of reasons why the smart speaker is not necessarily the right place for a podcast. But, um, but if you think about where voice is going in terms of out of home, in car, in headphones, that obviously is the right place. So uh, I think in the long term, it's going to be fine. But in the short term, we're not seeing much use of this. Uh, this is an interesting experiment. So in the conversational space... There's a whole load of publishers who are trying to create these immersive audio experiences. Uh, this is one that the FT launched last weekend. So in the, in the, in the magazine, you've got this. Um, uh, so basically, the idea is it's hidden cities and it's uh, an audio guide to Berlin. So it's a little bit like a museum guide, uh, but you can access it through your mobile phone or through your smart speaker. And you just ask it questions about, you know, take me to... Um, uh, tango or um, clubs and you get a sort of an insight into what's going on with uh, um, so I'll play you a little bit so you've got uh, take me to the lakes and then uh, and it takes you an audio documentary basically so for me there are some lakes that I've only ever been to in winter some that I've only been to in summer at the age of 28 Jessica leaves set out to swim a different Berlin lake every week you know the lakes they all sort of have highs and lows with me and actually the process of so this is really, uh, it's kind of experimental, um, and it's not going to be mass audience, it's really just learning. But I think what's interesting about this is the discovery of this stuff um, is all happening off-platform. The discovery on the platforms is so difficult, so hard to find stuff uh, through the devices themselves, that the FT is basically using the magazine to alert people to this, and then people are sort of picking up this, uh, this thing and then using the prompts that are on the, the magazine thing. Uh, and I think that's interesting because um, the way in which voice is going to develop, I think, is not just voice to voice. It's going to be offline to online, offline to, you know, to, to speaker and a lot, of, a lot of other experiences like this. This is one with um, recipes. So if you have one of these devices, you search on your mobile phone for a recipe. And I'm choosing here sticky ginger soy glazed chicken. And at the bottom, if you have a Google Home, it will come up and say, send to Google Home. And you just click that button, and you click the button, and then it says, um, start, so just say, start recipe. So you then say to your, in the kitchen, you'll say, start recipe, and it does this. I have a recipe you got from Budget Bites called Sticky Ginger Soy Glazed Chicken. Is that the right one? Yes. Great. This recipe serves eight and takes about one hour to make. Would you like to prepare the ingredients or skip to the instructions? Prepare ingredients. There are 10 ingredients. I'll read them one by one. Lemon. Okay, so it's a bit clunky, but you can go at your own pace and you can stop it and then when you're ready for the next thing, because your hands are dirty, right? Um, so if you put all that together, you've kind of got news going on here in the morning and radio listening 
and then maybe people are checking the diary in their, tra their transport. Then in the afternoon, maybe more entertainment or recipes or sort of that kind of stuff, more uh, relaxation when you come home from work. And then maybe at the end of the day, you're setting your alarm clock for the morning uh, or using your flash briefing. The really interesting thing about this for me is that for people who have these devices, voice is often the very first and the very last interaction with technology during the day. So it's kind of replacing radios in one sense, but it's also replacing the smartphone in, in another sense, because many people who have these devices no longer have the smartphone in their bedroom. So I think it's, it's kind of doubly disruptive in, in different ways. Uh, okay, so um, voice search, I think, is going to be the next big thing. So I don't know if you've seen some of the statistics. Uh, I don't believe them, but they say things like 50% of all searches are going to be by voice by 2022. I don't think that's true, <laughs> but uh, I think that's part of the hype. But, but I think what we can say with certainty is that more searches are going to be done through voice. Does anybody here do voice search currently? Yeah? So what, what sort of things do you, do you use it for? Directions. Yeah. And do you just put your, do you do it with your headphones or do you do it like that? With headphones and just, yeah. And for you, Simon? What does the word mean? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Could be a place, probably, or a personality, or just yeah. what this is. Okay. Other people, yeah? It wasn't me. It was my niece, because she couldn't write. She just asked whatever she wants. Yeah. Yeah, so for, I mean, for kids, it's, a, it's absolutely amazing, but also for uh, dyslexics. So we spoke to people um, who were dyslexic, who were checking words, and uh, just finding it absolutely invaluable. So we're seeing so many different kinds of people using, using voice search. Um, obviously, the question, uh, question is what happens with news and search, right? So if you search currently on, on, a, on a, a computer, you get 20 blue links or 15 blue links. You have a choice. On a mobile phone, maybe you get six or seven, right? In voice, you get one. So the real, the real issue is what's happening to platform power in that world. And at the moment, um, they've just launched this, this new idea of the speakable schema. And the idea of Google and others is that you're going to atomize news uh, so that when you ask for something, it will give you back the exact answer. So, you know, when I said how many people died in Grenfell Tower. Instead of giving me that sort of big extract, it will say 72 people, according to BBC News. Now, the question is, which publisher are they going to choose? Uh, how does attribution work in that environment? How does monetization work in that environment? Uh, but how they're doing it is they are asking publishers effectively to fill in an extra metadata field, which is designed to be read out. So uh, when the BBC writes Brexit stories, in those Brexit stories, it will write answers to questions that people are asking on the internet that are not designed to be read, they're designed to be, sorry, they're not designed to be read, they're designed to be listened to. And that's called the speakable schema. It's literally a start. So, so this is the example that Google use. Uh, hey, Google, what's the news on NASA? And then Google basically decides what you hear first, though it, it says it will then send other things to your phone so you can read uh, additional additional versions of it. So the big the big question here is what's in it for publishers? You know why why would publishers do this? There's no money. Uh, this is another way in which essentially we are building another business for them. 
and uh, using the sweat of journalistic labor to do this. Um, so these, these are just some of the quotes that, I, that people I talked to. So up until now, you know, we could control these experiences and we are not going to be in control of this experience. Somebody says, um, voice is an incredible flattening technology. It means more direct connection with the user's query and the results they want, which is a good thing for consumers, right? It's all about speed. It's one of the reasons they like it. But what it means is brands receding or being aggregated or summarized. So who does that summarize? Uh, what's the transparency around that? I think these are some of the sort of key questions. Um, and this is something from the New York Times. So if Google knows to try and suggest ways in which it might happen. So if, if Google knows that you are a New York Times user, for example, you have a New York Times app on your phone, then maybe it will prioritize the New York Times because it knows that that's the most likely brand that you want to, uh, to hear from. But then who, who is deciding? Where is the transparency around that? So this is a real, real concern right now for sort of publishers and voice. And this is Stuart, who's here from ABC, flown all the way just for this uh, seminar, uh, and maybe a wedding as well, um, who says, I think it changes everything, right? And it's the, it's the same basic point, you know, that, that um, you know, the machine is, is going to have to make that decision for you. And how does that happen? What are the rules going to be around that is, uh, is, is critical. Okay, so finally, sort of opportunities for publishers here. Um, so um, I've talked about a lot of the negatives. There are a lot of positives. So this is a German publisher who uh, absolutely believes that this technology is going to be transformational because it's just the best way to retrieve information. And he's installed uh, Alexas right in the center of his newsroom. He's put them in the washrooms. He's using it as a way of getting his staff up to speed with what's going to happen. So it's partly a sort of internal uh, issue. The BBC believes it's a hugely disruptive change. Uh, it's launched a whole load of um, applications for kids, for example. Uh, it's revamping its whole news experience in the next few months to really try and focus. It has a number of product teams working on, on voice right now. But other people are much more sceptical. So the, the Guardian, uh, a very good example, uh, says, you know, it's fine if you're a broadcaster, it's really easy because you already have this content. But if you're a newspaper, then you have to spin up a team and it's really, really expensive to create audio from scratch. Um, and we've been burnt before. You know, you've asked us to make content and then there's never been monetization. So they are, along with a whole load of other publishers, sort of holding back right now. So publishers tell us, uh, there's not enough resources for innovation because uh, you know, all of that went about 10 years ago. We don't have any money left, essentially. Um, and there is no sort of clear business models, uh, for example, particularly for short-form content. If we invest in this, how are we going to get rewarded for it? Because if you put uh, an advert in front of something really short, the, the audience is going to hate it. Uh, Problems for discovery and awareness, we talked about that. And then this point about, you know, there is no data coming out of the platforms about how popular this thing is, so how can you expect us to invest in it when you're not giving us any data? So those are sort of the core reasons. Uh, so I'm just going to finish with a couple of points about audio, um, because I've mainly banged on about voice. <laughs> but I just wanted to say why audio was relevant and where it wasn't relevant. Because in, obviously in some senses this is going to stimulate audio, in other senses, voice is something different. It's an access to all kinds of technologies. It's not just about audio. Um, and I was thinking about why, why is audio on the rise? Because it's not just because 
Uh, it's not because of voice, because audio has been on the rise probably for about five or six years, you know, since Serial and a whole load of podcasts and all the rest of it. So, so, so and, uh, I was part of the team that launched the BBC podcasts uh, 17 years ago, I think, which was great. We had a lot of rise and then it just went flat. Uh, and then we've suddenly in the last five years had this sort of extraordinary growth. Why do you think that is? Why is audio suddenly taken off again? If it's not voice, what is it? Technology, smartphones. Smartphones, yeah. Smartphones. I think it's the combination of the smartphone, the bandwidth, and the headphones, essentially. It's, it's the fact that particularly young people are kind of plugged in to the headphones. Audio, as we mentioned at the beginning, is this incredibly intimate way of communication. Um, it's, uh, you, you can have this real relationship with, um, with, with, with your sound, whether that's with your music or, or with audio podcasts. And uh, we simply couldn't do this before. So audio was either confined to the home or was confined to the, to, to the car. And um, it's always been great at filling the spaces in our lives where we can't use a screen. The point is there's more of them now. So there's more spaces where we can now have media where we couldn't have media because we have access to the internet because you have noise-cancelling headphones. I mean, I literally could not listen to a podcast on the tube until I got noise-cancelling headphones because you couldn't hear it, speech podcasts. And now you can. So these are technological changes. You are going to say? I was going to say, I, I think one of the main reasons is so far they haven't polluted the stream in mm. podcasts. So people are going to podcasts partly to have an immersive experience. And yeah. I think that is one of the things that's... Uh, our voice, they won't be able to resist adverts. Uh, as you said, you started yeah. by saying that it's distraction free. Yeah. But that distraction is going to come. It's going to come with musical overlays, um, help, mid roll ads, all the rest of it. Yeah, it's, um, all, it's all coming. Self promotion, uh, trailers, and so on. And I think they'll. They'll kill the opportunity. Or at least slow it down. Yeah, watch this space. Okay. Yeah, but absolutely. But it, in the gym, when running, you know, you, the, it, th these things were really hard to do, and now they're they're possible. So it's sort of opening up spaces uh, in different places. Um, so so the other thing about podcasts, which is different from the speakers, remember the remember the uh, the graph before. This basically shows you people who are using podcasts monthly by age, and essentially under under thirty fives are four times as likely to consume podcasts as. Uh, over, uh, what is that one? Sorry, this is radio news and this is podcast by age. And you can see that uh, young people basically aren't listening to speech radio, but they are listening to uh, podcasts in huge numbers. So that, that, is, that is amazing. And that, this is all to do with the fact that young people have these headphones and they are discovering, they are literally discovering speech radio, but they don't know it's speech radio because they've never had radios. They've never grown up with radios. Um, what are they listening to? All kinds of amazing things. I mean, the main thing is just the amount of stuff, right? So this is the same as the internet. It's just it, competition is exploding. Many of these things people hardly even listen to. Uh, and the chart is dominated by, yes, BBC stuff. But there's some amazing other stuff in there. I mean, my dad wrote a porno. Does anyone listen to that? A few people listen to that, right? So this is, this is about a guy whose dad wrote a porno <laughs> novel and, uh, and he does this, he basically reads bits out with his friends and they've made this blockbuster 
series of podcasts. Uh, I think they're in series three or coming to the end of series three or something. 120 million downloads. It's become a worldwide phenomenon. Um, completely different kinds of things as well emerging to in, in the podcast space, as well as, of course, opening up to a whole load of American podcasts. This is from last year's Digital News Report. Uh, we asked people what, what they listen to in the States, where you have this enormous sort of, uh, again, growth of different kinds of podcasts, NPR kind of podcasts, but a whole load of other stuff as well. Um, uh, and this... Um, a real sort of innovation, which is partly coming because business models are coming in now. So as interest in podcasts is growing, we're starting to get advertisers investing in this as well in a really big way. So you're starting to see the same model as you have with Netflix, uh, something that's released with a big hype. Uh, so most recently, uh, Gladiator, uh, but before that, obviously, S-Town. Um, serial, etc., true crime stuff. Uh, you know, you do true, true crime in, in, in Australia, huge hits. And uh, Gladiator finished yesterday. It was top of the podcast charts, and it was this huge investment. It had a TV-style trail. From the Boston Globe and Wondery comes a new podcast, Gladiator, Aaron Hernandez and Football Inc. So this is a six-part uh, series, huge amount of money. My colleagues on the Globe Spotlight team, Glow Spotlight team, same one that did Spotlight. To know how he went from star athlete to killer to suicide victim. What happened to Alan Hernandez? It's like you want to shake someone like that. Like, how do you not know you're in a bad situation? And who might have prevented it? Um, so it's that's um, uh, whole new companies and advertising. So that was done in conjunction with Wondery, which is one of the sort of podcast producers in, in, in the states. Um, so the sort of big blockbusters on the one hand. Now, in the last year, you've got this sort of explosion in daily news shows. So the daily, obviously, uh, was the trailblazer in the New York Times. I go to newsrooms, and pretty much everyone is launching currently a version of the daily. So obviously, The Guardian did this a couple of weeks ago, launched their version. The BBC launched one a couple of weeks ago called Beyond Today. Uh, Washington Post is about to launch one. The FT is about to launch one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The problem, of course, is attention, is that we don't have enough attention. I think uh, a few years ago, it was 250,000 podcasts in the Apple iTunes store. Uh, now it's 750,000. Most of those have an audience of about five. Uh, so, so it's really, um, it's, it's, it's a real problem. Uh, but I think, as you were suggesting, length is not necessarily a problem. You know, for many people, this is about immersion. This is a great example uh, of P3, which is a... Uh, Swedish radio broadcast. Um, uh, it's the biggest podcast in Sweden. Half a million listeners every week to a 45-minute serious documentary. Um, a lot of young people are involved with that as well. And the country, whole country is 10 million. So, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty amazing... Um, and again, you know, they're... This is big hey, production man. values. I don't have a lot of time. And it's evergreen content. I'm going to be dead. Uh, I've talked too much. Right. Finally, beyond podcasts... So it's not, you know, audio is not just about podcasts. So I've already talked about voice and this sort of immediate question and answer. That's audio. Um, but many sort of broadcasters are also thinking about uh, audio news and what audio news needs to be in the future. And this is kind of reinventing the whole idea of a current affairs show and personalizing it. And the, and the company that's gone furthest here is National Public Radio in the States. So what they're doing is really atomizing all of their audio. So they're cutting up all of the different segments. They're tagging them. So they have three people 
who tag all the different audio segments. And then in the app, you basically you program your, your own, or the, the algorithm basically programs the, um, the best current affairs program for you, basically slots the bits together automatically. And it's a very seamless experience. Uh, they've been doing this for a few years now, um, and they're essentially trying to reinvent uh, radio, but fitting around each individual. Uh, monetization is, I think, obviously the key question. Uh, we're starting to see monetization around podcasts. So basically mid-rolls, pre-rolls, uh, sponsorship, all of those things are really happening within podcasts and it's helping to fuel the growth and the innovation. Many other companies are interested in marketing. So in some cases, it's about just giving out audio and then within the audio, you say, subscribe to our publication and go to this page and get a special offer. So The Economist is doing that, New York Times are doing that. So this is really about brand awareness, getting new, younger listeners to engage with your brand. Premium services, so uh, it's going to be possible on these devices to basically just have your subscribers be able to listen to the Economist audio edition, for example, which is basically read out version of the Economist by a professional actor. And uh, so that's something that's going to be part of the premium package. So it fits into subscription strategies. And then uh, finally, how do you get the uh, voice search thing to work? So a lot of people are talking about maybe going in with, um, with the platforms to create a premium service where the publishers get paid for that content. So I think lots, lots, of, diff lots of unknowns, but lots of different, um, different possibilities. Sorry, I've gone on. Um, so uh, what are we saying? Audio is, um, uh, is growing relative to other media. There's going to be lots of new opportunities for audio. It's obviously not going to replace all those other things. It's just an additional thing. Uh, driven by technological change. Uh, voice is going to revolutionize, it's going to, it's going to help audio, but it's also in its own right going to revolutionize the way we access media of all kinds. Television, uh, devices in the home, uh, you know, anything you can think of. Um, the tech platforms are going, this is going to increase the stakes in the battle between the tech platforms and publishers. Uh, they're going to have more power in a voice-driven world. Uh, to be successful, publishers need to be incredibly clear what you're doing in voice and what you're doing in audio. Just doing the same as everyone else is not going to be a good strategy. You need to do stuff that is different or that meets very specific audio needs. And then, um, you know, we are starting to see business models, but they're still emerging, and that needs to be thought of as you think of the whole strategy to do with audio. Uh, thank you very much.